We had two bags of grass, 75 pellets of mescaline, five sheets of high-powered blotter acid, a salt shaker half full of cocaine, a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers, downers, screamers, laughers, also a quarter tequila, quarter rum, case of beer, pint of raw ether, two dozen amyl. Not that we needed all that for the trip, but once you get locked into a serious drug collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. The only thing that really worried me was the ether. There is nothing in the world more helpless and irresponsible and depraved than a man in the depths of an ether binge. And I knew we'd get into that rotten stuff pretty soon. Hello. Bam, 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 bam. That's Nick. Welcome to another episode <laughs> yeah. of Lions Led by Donkeys. Fucking ready, dude. And this is the absolute final Soviet-Afghan war episode. Uh, up to number seven now, so it's officially the yeah, longest really series long. we've ever done. Um, at this point, I'm just looking forward to uh, not reading about Soviet military casualties <laughs> anymore. Yeah, it's kind of depressing. Yeah, it's sad. Um, so this episode's a little different. Uh, it has nothing to do with the main series trajectory because that's it's over. We're not, we're not going to add anything. No CIA. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, actually. So what? no cocaine of. in the mountains party. Kind party. of. I used a lot of CIA uh, memos for ah, sources, so yes. I guess they did help me do research this time. Okay. I am actually I am a CIA shill. Uh, this you whole bastard. Pod, this whole podcast <laughs> has been a front. When were you going to tell me? Uh, that was the goal. I now I have to kill everybody that listens to this. Steven, help. Yeah, that's why Steven Seagal hangs out with us. Uh, at least the cardboard non-rapey version. Uh, I don't know. He gives us the googly eyes every once in a while. So, full disclosure, we actually recorded this episode once before. Yeah. And we were so drunk, it made no sense. I don't remember some of it. Um, and that is only the second time we've ever had to do this. That's awesome. Though, to be fair... The first time we did it, uh, that was a completely different shit show. Um, but we're here, and we—I don't even know—I don't even know what to call this one. Um, uh, fear and loathing in the Soviet army. <laughs> I don't oh, know. okay, that's uh, not bad. I'm gonna go with that because uh, it kind of fits. Um, so the main reason why the I wanted to do of this... the Adidas stripe. <laughs> I don't know the Moscas. Uh, so yes, uh, the main reason I want to do this is. Uh, I only had like the Iran Iraq war to compare this series to because we had done other series like two or three episodes, but nothing like this. Yeah, this was seven. Yeah. Uh, so that's two hands. I wanted to um chart the 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 chaos and the dysfunction and the disillusionment of the Soviet military. But there's really no way to do it in a re- in the regular episodes. Um, it just didn't fit in. All of it was normally out of out of order in all the first-hand accounts I was finding. And there was, um, there was no fucking way I was going to piece through there and put them all into order. Um, so I made a whole episode about it. So, so this whole episode is just about, you know, the. so one of the things I learned through the series is, is the life of a Soviet conscript might just be one of the most miserable in modern history. Oh, and that actually kind of continued yes. unbroken all the way through the 90s in the Russian army after the Soviet Union fell. Um, 
But we're not going to talk about the Russian army. We're talking about the Soviet army. Um, uh, one of the key parts of almost any long-term military operation is uh, is the military and how they deal with the operations. You know, through attrition, how they handle casualties. Um, one side's eventually going to break. They're going to lose the will to fight. Um, people are going to start deserting. Whatever it may be. That's that's not something that happened to the Soviet army during the Afghan war. It was something that already existed in the Soviet army before it even went to war. Really? Yeah. Um, so big old haze fest. Oh God. Um, it, it puts a, a whole concept of hazing um, in a completely different light to me. I'm not saying like more gentle hazing is okay. Right. Hazing is bad. Um, but I feel like this crossed the line somewhere from being hazing to being abuse? just abuse. Oh, I mean, I would, I would, I would argue all hazing is abuse, okay, but yeah. um, just psychopathic torture sessions, which we will get to that. I promise we'll torture. get to that. Um, so I talked uh, countless times, I, and, uh, and I will this episode calling them conscripts. You know, they're all conscripted for the most part. So you're probably wondering how the fuck you end up in the Soviet army. Um, according to the Soviet draft law, quote, all men, citizens of the USSR, irrespective of their origin, social and property status, race and ethnicity, education, language, attitude to religion, type and nature of occupation, place of residence, they are to, required to undergo military service with the armed forces of the, of the USSR. Oh, they covered their bases. And that also is God. absolutely not true. Um, as we t- talked about before, it's really easy to get out of the draft. Um, now, this was a duty that was very, very easy to get out of, whether it be from good old-fashioned uh, fashion bribes, uh, connections, or simply lying your ass off to be ruled ineligible. Um, now, it needs to be noted, um, if you got out of the draft, you did not get labeled the draft dodger. People just considered you smart. Everybody knew, yeah. like, everybody knew how awful army service was. The main problem was if you dodged the draft completely, the Soviet state could find you. Now, remember, this is um, an all-encompassing state apparatus. Like, Would they care enough to find you, though? They don't have to. That's the thing. Um, they make it so you don't have a choice. Like, and and not, not that you have a choice to serve, but like you have to legitimately get out of it. Uh, they, they, they make it kind of hard. Like You actually have to work for it um, for a simple reason. Everything goes through the state. If you're if you're a draft dodger, you won't get shit. You'll just get arrested, and then put back in the army. Mm. Um, that's one like your your job. You worked for the state. There's no private enterprise. If you dodge the draft, you're a criminal. You can't work for the state. Right. So you're unemployed. You can't get any kind of benefits or housing. All these things require government input. So say, and now this might not be a hundred percent accurate, but say you wanted an apartment, you'd have to apply to get an apartment. You wouldn't just go rent one. Hmm. There's, there's okay. no there's no landlords right there, there's no hoas or there's no like um well i guess i would argue HOAs. the entire soviet union was one big hoa but yeah. as that's a bit of a spicy take but uh so you, know, you would have to apply to get an apartment uh and through the whatever the local committee was that handed out apartments so you'd have to have whatever your social id is an id they would and they would find out if you're a draft dodger and also, like your um, your status within the party, whatever it may be, depends on where you got to live. 
So generally speaking, if you were poor, um, maybe you, you weren't the, the best communist. You didn't get to live in Moscow. These guys had your Facebook profile before Facebook was around. Oh, They're definitely. The, K- the KGB yeah. invented a literal book of faces. Yeah. <laughs> it was also, if it was back in the NKVD days, it would literally be made out of face skin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so That would be a floppy book. Not like paperback, floppy back, leatherback. Um, so skin. Back. A lot of the first-hand accounts I found was it made it abundantly clear getting drafted was more of an intelligence test than anything else. Like it's an IQ test. Like it only really. So if you were from St. Petersburg, Moscow, a, a nicer city, you just didn't get drafted. Unless you wanted to be. That's the thing. Some dudes really? wanted to go in the military. That makes Yeah. Um, now, if you didn't want to get in, all you had to do is say, uh, so a lot of the accounts I found was just like, just piss yourself. Say, what the bet? That was good enough. I'll shit myself right now. Yeah. Watch. <laughs> Sir, we just required you to pee. Shut up. I'm pooping. Yeah. I'm, poop- I'm committed. I'm a man of my word. I'm shitting in these pants. Um, so other people would just hold on hope that um that the draft offices couldn't find them because if they if they couldn't find you you didn't technically dodge the draft yeah um by they would just move and not update the record with the office really that simple yeah holy fuck and that's the thing is like if they couldn't find you technically you didn't dodge the draft exactly yeah so they eventually got around that by making you report to the draft office and that didn't work (laughs) anymore which, no shit, that's pretty easy. Um, so at the draft office, office, you just shit yourself. <laughs> just go in and immediately brick pretty in your much. pants. Yeah, just walk in. <laughs> preemptively down like whatever the Russian version of fajitas is. I, I just imagine Ooh. it's a lot of borscht. And what is that? You've done, oh, it's, it's cold beet soup. No. <laughs> Why? It's like it's a normal Russian food. You, sound, you make it sound like it's good. It's actually not bad. I fucking don't know you. I think it's beets. Someone's going to correct me on that. It's, it's cold soup. Yeah, cold soup still isn't good soup. I, I would disagree. Maybe it's because I'm Armenian. I have to stand Probably. up for our terrible food. I think food. you do. Yeah, um, so like I said, uh, there's a common saying that you would never run into anybody from St. Petersburg or Moscow who are conscripts. The vast bulk of the army was, despite this being the Soviet workers' paradise, overwhelmingly drafted from the rural poor and the outlying Soviet republics. Mm, yes. But regardless of whatever weird barriers are in the way, every year around 2 million 18-year-old Soviet citizens are rounded up at the local military draft offices. Um, That's a fair amount. It's a huge country. Yeah. Now, uh, the way this works is you would show up, and they'd give you a battery of tests. Um, special forces, like airborne, spetsnaz, stuff like that. Like put the shapes inside the... Corresponding shape holes. <laughs> Tie your shoes. Yeah. Uh, so Fuck. If, you, if you scored high on all the tests, like you managed to... Yeah. The, the, to I make did the a cow, double knots. Yeah, if you managed to make the cow go moo on the spinning dial, uh, you immediately went to Spetsnaz or Airborne. Nice. Right off the top. Um, the fastest, smartest, whoever it may be, were, were gone immediately. The regular ground forces would be everybody else. Trying to put the square in the triangle. Yeah. All right, looks like you're going to drive a tank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that one ate the shapes. You are a cook, sir. <laughs> yeah. 
I can only imagine how you try to get in the tank. How can I fit through this small little barrel? <laughs> no, Pavel. <laughs> you go through the hatch. That'll make no damn what? sense. <laughs> no, you go in the tank. The people are in the tank? Like, Zoolander, the files are in the computer? Um, so after being found good enough for a couple years of service, they are sent off to their units. Where... Or what that unit would be was left to be a total mystery to everybody. Uh, you, they just throw you on a train and you'd get out at one point and be like, where am I? And like, <laughs> welcome to the fucking 365th dick sucking regiment. Like, damn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't want to do this. I just left my job at the dick sucking factory. <laughs> yeah. My jaw is sore all the time. <laughs> so... What do your orders say? It's just a blank paper. <laughs> That's the thing. They wouldn't even get paper orders. So, like, they would send, like, requisition paperwork to the unit that's getting them like they're a piece of equipment. The actual conscript <laughs> wouldn't get anything. Yeah. They're like, oh, there's a body. Um, so, another thing is uh, most armies have centralized basic training. Uh, the yes. Soviet army did not. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. The Soviet Union is fucking huge. So, and they'd have military districts inside those military districts. So they'd have different regiments. Um, so they just said, fuck it. We'll, we'll leave basic training up to the regiments. Like, you get that's, new soldiers and then you'll train them. From my experience, sometimes that's a terrible idea. Guess what, Nick? You are very right. That was a very bad idea. Some units just don't give a fuck and are lazy as shit. Now, expand that to some units too. The All whole of the units. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knew anything. They were just like, I don't know, that's the new guy. Fuck him. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, now, a lot of people would learn through, like, osmosis. So they just kind of learn through hanging out long enough. Now, this some of this changed uh, when you went to specialized units, like armor, uh, artillery, stuff like that. They'd have some kind of training. You'd actually have to learn how to use something? Kind of. Okay. Um, infantry... Definitely not. Um, most of these guys wouldn't even fire the rifles. Um, now, a lot of that would change. Like it, it, every once in a while, the Soviet Union would put like huge war games up. That, there's a very good chance that in their two years of service, um, which is the term of the conscription, um, that would be the only time they'd fire their weapon. Oh, okay. Or really, the only time they go on maneuvers. Like, oh, there's a very good chance you just sit around in the barracks for two years, drinking yourself to death, which happened a lot. I believe it. Um, so uh, another thing was um, training costs money, even in the Soviet Union. They didn't want to spend a lot of that because they were at the, especially towards the end of the Soviet Cheap. Union, they simply didn't fucking have any. Uh, you know, ammo costs uh, money, gas costs money. They just didn't have it. Not to mention, much like we've talked about countless times here, the Soviets would be supplied from the top down, meaning a lot of that shit would just be sold off. So there's nothing actually left for the unit. Yeah. Um, Living just costs money, and that's just something they can't afford. Yeah. So instead of training, however, what a conscript did get was wholesale torture. Nice. And the Soviet army or like the good kind. There's there what good kind. Let's say we uh, went into the bedroom. Like if that's if that's your like your fetish. Yeah. I'm. I I wouldn't. So Boris is like. (laughs) So, I feel like consent plays in a in a heavy hand on that one, but. Maybe they would stop torturing him if they just said, that felt really good, Nikolai. 
and they would be like, "Do it well, again." Fuck. <laughs> oh God! Somebody give him a hug. I hate that. Um, you know, didn't catch any firsthand accounts. Somebody like, you know what? I loved my time. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that. Um, I really liked getting cornholed <laughs> by my fellow. Uh, so, uh, in the days of the Soviet Union, and to a lesser extent, uh, the Russian army. Uh, there is a system in place called Dodovshina, which means the rule of the grandfathers. That sounded really good. I practiced. Did you? No. <laughs> Google <laughs> Translate? Oh, man. So, I was using it. When you watch a YouTube video, and I found quite a few YouTube videos where I used for research, uh, there's an option for subtitles, if, that, if that's an option. Yeah. The, the other option is just let YouTube translate it by what the, whatever the weird algorithm thinks the language is saying. But it translates it into English, what it sounds like it's saying in Russian, but not what it's actually saying in Russian. So I, I was like balled over, like laughing my ass off, <laughs> like as I was watching this like um, alcoholic old grizzled paratrooper talk about his time as a conscript. But it's saying like, yes, and then the ponies were very angry and then the grass exploded. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? It's like Maybe they, that's what he was actually saying. It's like he they, was just drunk as shit. They just turned like a documentary into ad libs. And, and awesome. that's the only way I ever want to watch anything that's now. Great. So the origin of the problem of Dodovshina can kind of be traced back to a change in conscription law in 1967. Um, so before then, if you had a criminal record, you could not be drafted. Um, and and you sounds like cool. How severe the crime? It didn't matter. Um, so if you had served time in a penal colony, you could not be drafted. Mm. And there was times in Soviet history where like just Hey, you with the face, you're going to the fucking gulags. Like, it wasn't a good place to live for large stretches of their existence. Um, so, and, and without the military service, they were not allowed to live in certain places. Uh, it's kind of like having criminal record now, actually. Yeah, okay. Um, you just get fucked for life. Um, that changed from a very severe shortage of people. Um, so when that law changed, it included uh, people that already had criminal records. Uh, people with new convictions and people who uh, were given the uh, were, were sent to the army rather than prison. Um, these ex-convict soldiers would end up bringing the cutthroat prison culture of Soviet prison into the military, and Soviet prison culture so, is it, intense. They wanted to feel like they were back at home. It's what. So if you get a large amount of convicts together, they're probably going to act like convicts. If you get a large amount of soldiers together, they're probably going to act like soldiers. Very true. Yes. That's kind of what happened. Um, not to mention, they, uh, the Soviet prison culture is really interesting and, and a completely just an insane uh, amount of weird shit that happened in there. Um, for instance, they, there was um, during World War II, um, Stalin told people in penal colonies if you fight in the army, you will be free when you get out, when the war is over. That ended up being a complete lie. Uh, but there is a, a thing in Soviet prisons called thieves in law. So part of the, uh, the, the law is you do not work with the state. That includes being cops, prison guards, or soldiers. You simply do not fucking do it. You're a traitor. Um, and if you do it, you'll get killed. Oh. Um, so at the end of World War II, 
all those people who thought they were fighting for the freedom got immediately dumped back in penal colonies. So immediately made them second-class citizens in their own prison. Yeah. Which led to what is known as the Suka War. Suka means bitch. It was known as the Bitch War. Yeah, uh, where the two sides were just murdering the goddamn shit off each other. I imagine as a guard, they were kind of like, uh, I don't know. It, it so this prison culture mostly exists. The thieves in law and all the, the mafias controlling things mostly exists because a completely hands off approach to keeping prisons. Um, also, they're out in the middle of nowhere. So where the fuck are they going to escape to? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but you know, they brought all that into the army, surrounded by a ton of eighteen year olds who are completely fresh faced and have no idea what they're walking into. Oh yeah. Like most militaries, the Soviets always had a kind of hazing, but it was always thought of something to like like an initiation. It wasn't anything brutal. Like you might get slapped around a bit. I got slapped around a bit, but that was in 2005. It wasn't too bad. Um, but after 1967, that turned into something completely different. The first thing that would happen is a soldier would get to their unit and all of their shit would be stolen. Now, the USSR generally only issued one set of uniforms for someone's entire conscription period. Remember, that's two years. Smart. Two years. I've never had a uniform last two years, I think, in my life. Never. Um, Even when they always say, hey, keep a clean one. Yeah. Never had, Never worked out for me. Yeah. As you can imagine, they quickly got torn up, stained, ruined, whatever. Uniforms don't last long. And that's it with modern technology and fibers and whatever. Uh, I can imagine this shit falls apart two times as fast. Oh, yeah. Um, so the oldest conscripts who were around 20 years old would take what they needed and uh, what they were wearing would be passed on to the people below them. Uh, and the newest guy was left with torn up rags or nothing at all. So think of it as like uh, a ranking system. Uh, within six months, you were considered not dog shit anymore. So you just had to withstand the six months of... right. Uh, and then after that, the, now the people who've been there a year would still fuck with you, but everybody fucks the people who have been there less than six months. Right. So it's a trickle down. It's trickle yeah. down torture. Yeah. 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 Um, they'd also be robbed of their paycheck, which, if you were to guess how much a Soviet conscript got paid, how much do you think they got paid? Uh, now remember, okay. this is in the Soviet Union, not Afghanistan, so they're actually getting money. Okay. So I'd say uh, before their allotments. Oh, they didn't have any, don't worry. That was yeah, I know they didn't. Uh, I'm going to go 200, 300. All right. So before you came over, you bought a bottle of Old Crow. Oh, Jesus Christ. How much did that bottle of Old it Crow was $25. cost? $25. That is more than double how much a Soviet Holy conscript made. Fuck. They made $10 a month. It's good money. Um, now, even adjusted what, with inflation. What inflate, do you buy? Nothing. You buy nothing. You just uh, die. <laughs> you just, you you just get robbed. You, you just, just fucking robbed. Um so soldiers, uh, now almost everybody sent things to their family who were conscripted because they knew that, they, that, every, that the state wasn't going to supply them with stuff. That would also all be stolen. Um, now, a lot of soldiers realized that like, their families who were also hard off probably don't want to send their shit to their son just to get stolen. So they would write their family, like, please stop sending me things that's just being stolen. Then they would just get their asses kicked for, for ratting. <laughs> this sucks. That sucks so yeah. bad. So they're like, no, no, no. Write your family. Tell them to keep sending you shit so I can steal it from hey, you. Tell them you really want those fucking awesome chips they, got, they brought you last time. <laughs> yeah. That shit was the bomb. Ask your mom to send us a picture of her tits. <laughs> yeah. What? 
Do it. <laughs> the abuse did not end there. New conscripts would be forced to do uh, tasks for days at a time without sleep. And when they obviously began to fail uh, because they were sleep deprived or pass out, they would be beaten until they woke back up. Just thing- for funsies? Sure. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, it, it's a barracks life, so they had normal cleaning duties to do um, that were distributed equally amongst everybody um, by the leaderships. Uh, sergeants were really not involved. It was mostly lieutenants and above. Um, and then the, the older conscripts would pile all their duties on the youngest ones. So if you had three new draftees in your platoon, they were doing everybody's work. Oh. And if they failed, they'd get the shit beat out of them. Good. That sounds great. Yeah. The abuse was so mainstream within the ranks they even had names for the torture. Do they have a fucking board that say, all right, you fucked up. What are you going to get? The real misery. (laughs) Oh, Boris is going to hit you with the stick again. So sweet. That one's better than. (laughs) Oh, thank God. (laughs) Uh, So one was known as the elephant. They that just was... fucking like step on your dick or something. <laughs> Someone just stomps on you with a yeah. really big pair of boots. No, uh, this is because Soviet gas masks at the time had oh. those long tubes. They uh, shit in it. Uh, oh, oh, like the jackass <laughs> yeah. where he shits down the tube? Yeah. Oh, that'd be so much worse. Actually, oh, it's worse? That's, it's no, no, no. As... The one that you just made up is worse than the oh, Soviets did. Okay. Congratulations, Nick. You're worse than they are. Thank you. <laughs> um, so. They had uh, the the gas mask had a long tube that would connect to a pack to filter air. Um, they would uncork that uh, that that tube and plug it. Uh, so when the tube was sealed, they could not breathe. After that, they were forced to do wind sprints until they just blacked out. I'd rather smell shit. Someone rather just blacking straight into your face. Yeah, like fuck it. You know they're gonna jiggle the tube so it gets all the way down too. Nobody said it had to be elevated. It's getting elevated. Like I would, I would imagine. Like, I, I would imagine it's a. It is a beer bong of poop. I'll pass out. Dude. <laughs> yeah, All right, I, I'll do some sprints. <laughs> you got me for like two sprints. Yeah. Oh, you're not gonna last long. No. That's a, that's the day that you just hope your seal isn't good, so you just fucking black out rather than have to run around and like have like getting waterboarded in your own sweat. <laughs> yeah. You just get that little cap air, just like fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's just hissing as yeah. you sweat into it. So in another one of them, they had forced a conscript to balance on the four corners of a four-corner post bed, uh, like Batman or something. Mm, it's like, now yes. picture a four-corner post bed. You got a foot on, on, on the bottom post and a hand on both top ones, and you're just suspending yourself in the I used to call that the pyramid. So. Yeah, I feel like it's pyramid, Batman. Can go either way. Yeah. Um, and then people would just ruthlessly punch and kick you in the stomach while you're balancing. Oh, they give you an ab workout, like yeah. from Bloodsport. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is a Jean-Claude Van Damme heavy torture. Okay. He was in Bloodsport, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, if you fell, because you're being savagely beaten, yeah. they just beat you again. And then get back up on, on those posts. So it's a lose-lose yeah, you, deal. It turns out in torture, you, you never win. Okay. Uh, and you just do that until they get bored, I guess. Um, now, there's a remix of the Batman method that I just talked about. Instead of falling on the bed below and getting a beating, the soldiers would instead remove the mattress and place a bayonet. That's not soft. No, that's just murder. That's not even, that's not even hazing at this point. You're going to be impaled and die. Yeah. Um, I'd rather get uh, elephant. Yeah, I'd rather have that. So far, the elephant's the best one. Yeah. Um, now, 
sometimes they were they would become so savage they just gave up on giving fancy names. They would resort to extreme sexual abuse. Um, now, all joking aside, this happened so much. Uh, that according to a CIA report on the Soviet army, soldiers raping young conscripts with glass bottles and metal objects was considered incredibly common. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. It was also not uncommon for conscripts to just be straight up murdered. Uh, the body would then be sent back home to the families in, in a barely marked zinc coffin uh, with a note that explained to them that their son died in a training accident. Just a... Like a sad face. <laughs> Smiley. Yeah. We send you the saddest emoji we have, ma'am. There's nothing more we can do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, if you resisted, you were beat without mercy. Uh, so, surprise, surprise. A conscript to report. So uh, this is a conscript who did not go to Afghanistan. He was just showing up to his first unit. Uh, a conscript reported to his first unit and said, as he walked towards the barracks, soldiers were hanging out of the window drinking from bottles, and brandishing knives at him, screaming, you might as well hang yourself now. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if he's like, oh, these guys are going to be great. (laughs) Can I get back on the train? Yeah. I'd like to get back on the train now. (laughs) Like, seriously, Siberia in a gulag is better than this. I would rather get, like, exiled to the worst part of the Soviet Union than spend one fucking day in the army there. God, that would suck. So you're probably wondering... How in the fuck was this allowed to happen? I mean, this is uh, a state that everybody considers incredibly oppressive. Everybody's uh, being tracked and, and, and traced. Nobody does anything. It's a secret. Like, how is this going on? And the Soviet military is, like, completely oblivious. Well, about that. It was the main method of control that the Soviet leadership used on its own army. Sometimes you got to grip the balls. and twist Uh, officers and NCOs expected older conscripts to keep the younger ones in line and if they didn't they would have that torture visit upon them oh which remember they had already survived once and they know how bad it is so it was like so they have techniques now they could do it worse well it's gain experience the trickle down torture has a purpose because the people so the people who are abusing people were victims of abuse themselves. Exactly. Nobody escaped this. So uh, now, nobody in the regular army escaped this. Spetsnaz and Airborne, this does not uh, include that. Now, they had their own horrible things, but not nearly as bad as the regular army. So they like, fuck, I need to torture the shit of this kid, or the lieutenant's going to come and, you know, rape me with a metal rod or whatever. Like, so that's that was the main method of control. There was no discipline. It was just, Awful torture. You think the lieutenants would show off? Like, hey, this would hurt you. Well, watch this. And they do it to themselves. Be like, straight in, straight out. You know, I'm curious if officers went through anything. I didn't find any accounts of officers being treated like this. I don't think they were. Mm, Okay. Um, But they did sure order it to happen a whole lot. So, like I talked about before. The youngest conscripts were considered less than human for at least six months, at which point a new batch would show up because, remember, the, the draft period's every six months. Um, and that cycle would repeat itself with the soldier who was just being abused now becoming the abuser, completing the cycle. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people are like, how could they possibly do this? You would fucking do it too. 
For sure. Because now remember, after six months, suddenly people aren't beating you anymore. And like, look, you're one of us now, but you got to do what we did to you, to him. You'd be like, fuck yeah. Fuck that guy. (laughs) Why why are we angry? Just fuck him. Okay. Steal his pants. Yeah. Uh, now, Now, as you can imagine, this led to a lot of desertion, suicide, and murder. It is not uncommon to find stories uh, of conscripts shooting a ton of their comrades before running off into the woods. This still happens Holy today. Shit. <laughs> uh, now, the U.S. Army is also not uh, void of this. So people who are in the Army listening, or Nick, uh, it's 2019. This shit still happens. Now, very during the Afghan war, remember, we said during that whole period, the Soviet military admits to between 13,000 and 15,000 dead. That was my, honestly, that's what I'm actually curious about. What the actual number is? Their numbers on, not from the Afghanistan, their Afghanistan war, but their training accidents, quote unquote. So, if you remember, uh, multiple generals put the number at around 75,000. Yeah. So, about that. During the Afghan war and the five years before it, 120,000 Soviet soldiers would either die from quote-unquote training accidents, murder, suicide, or complications from hazing. 120,000? Okay, that's a big number. Yes. Uh, that is multiple times over more people died in Afghanistan. You, like, just existing in the Soviet army was more deadly than being deployed. <sighs> The army was also incredibly racist. That's not surprising. (laughs) It's not surprising at all. So the Soviet Union was a huge nation that encompassed uh, more races, cultures, and ethnicities than any of us will count. Um, And it's probably one of the biggest melting pots of different people in human history. Um, Maybe outside the fucking Mongols or something. Um, It's certainly more of a melting pot, quote unquote, than America. Um, that did not stop the Russians from being just the most racist as they could possibly be. Um, Central Asian minorities were absolutely never given technical jobs within the military, which we have talked about. Uh, the army thought they were too dumb to learn Russian, yeah. when in reality they just were teaching them Russian. Te- um, oh, yeah. Makes no sense. When regulations were... Vi- so the military and the, the politicians of the Soviet Union... Uh, weren't dumb when it came to the racism within the military. Like a lot of people realize, like the army is the main thing that binds this thing, this USSR game together. We need to keep it as equal as possible because people are starting to notice. So they came up with regulations to allow more of the Central Asians, um, some of the Caucasian groups, like you know Uzbeks, Tajiks, um, Armenians, all those guys into the ranks of officers and NCOs. Um, the Soviet high command ignored it as they were, quote, trying to make the army yellow. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Also, I haven't even gotten to Afghanistan yet. Oh, there's more. So you've heard me say the thing. Uh, I, I guess you could call it a saying that I have now. It's not a bug. It's a feature. I think I probably said that a hundred times during the, the, the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, like it's an air so deeply ingrained in a piece of technology, like the blue screen of death or the red ring of death and like an Xbox um, that you just know it wasn't an accident. Somebody fucked up somewhere and that the design was wrong. Yeah. That is the Soviet army in self-destruction. So 
like I said before, there's two different kinds of soldiers in the Soviet army. You have everybody else, and you have the airborne or Spetsnaz. Um, those guys would do the majority of what we now consider counterterrorism. Uh, they were the ones kicking in doors, um, taking VIP or HTAVs, whatever the fuck you want to call them. Um, everybody else were occupying forces. Now, that would change occasionally whenever they did a huge offensive, like you know uh, the, the battle on on the hill we talked about. Yeah, uh, yeah, all those. Um, Operation Typhoon, uh, Magistral, those are regular army guys. Uh, but they didn't do that kind of shit that often. Normally, they just kind of drove around circles waiting to get hit. That sounds familiar. Hello. <laughs> I was also uh, one of them, um, except uh, at least I had more than one uniform. I had that Very, uniform. yeah. Uh, so we're not going to talk about the, the special forces either because it's, they actually did their job. Um, so the Soviet occupying forces uh, consisted around 80% of everybody in the country. Um, actual combat missions was a very, very rare part of their job. Um, the Soviet soldiers who found themselves deployed to Afghanistan were, by and large, pretty goddamn unlucky. Um, the Soviet military was massive. I cannot... It's tens and tens of millions of people. Um, it was fucking huge. Um, and only a sliver of that was ever really in Afghanistan. Yeah. But 100,000, give or take. Um, so you drew the short end. About that. Um, there was, of course, enthusiastic volunteers whenever the chance for career advancement comes up through war, which we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, but that peered out pretty goddamn fast. Um, the war... Uh, war on many of the units deployed end up being populated uh, by criminals. Um, so, uh, soldiers who violated regulations, uh, violated law, got arrested, they were sent there in lieu of a court-martial because it was easier. Uh, in essence, Afghanistan had become the dumping ground of the Soviet military. Yeah, it sounds more like a punishment than so anything. So, a lot of those guys who were like, so, you would go serve X amount of years in a penal colony, well, you're going to go into the army for two years and you're going to Afghanistan for two years. Two whole years. Remember, yeah. Mo- yeah, al- almost all these conscripts are doing their entire time in country. Um, one of the Soviet soldiers' main way to pass time, drinking, was taken away. That's horseshit. Leadership may not have actually wanted to supervise these soldiers, but they knew well enough that drunk soldiers with guns is a bad idea. I mean, they saw how well it worked in garrison, so they knew what they were dealing with. Uh, so now officers could drink, enlisted could not. Soldiers would buy, steal, and barter for local booze, even though they were warned the Mujahideen had poisoned it, which they did. Um, not to the extent that you would think. Uh, it was pretty rare. Okay. It's kind of like uh, you hear like in Platoon or... Um, the Pacific, they poison the coconuts. Right. Uh, like in the Platoon, Japanese. they say the, the Vietnamese uh, poison the, the, the weed. So if soldiers smoked it, they wouldn't want to fight. They didn't have to poison the weed. When you're high, you don't want to fucking fight anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, it quickly became apparent, however, that it may have not been the Mujahideen poisoning anything. Just drinking poison <laughs> was just one of the Soviet <laughs> Army's favorite pastimes. So we have talked before about the MiG-25. 
one of my favorite military uh, vehicles to ever exist. Is it? Um, so being assigned to the ground crew of MiG-25 was a fucking primo spot. And the main reason for that was the jet was known as the Gestronum, which meant delicatessen. Reason for that was its nose-mounted radar and generator were cooled by a water ethanol mixture. You could drink it. It gets you fucked up. Nice. One defecting pilot uh, who fled to the West complained that the de-icing machine in his aircraft almost never worked because the maintenance personnel drank the goddamn alcohol meant to cool it. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Fuck the mission. <laughs> I'm getting fucked up. And then there was the Samogon. It was a homebrew that actually predates vodka. Really? Its strength has been called atomic. <laughs> That's not good. It's blinding. <laughs> About that. It was actually so strong that even the Soviet soldiers who remember were just drinking liquids out of jets uh, limited themselves to a shot or two a day. Uh, otherwise, there was blindness. Holy fuck. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you, ready? Are you ready for me to say it? Wait. It gets worse. Nice. I was ready for it. So in the U.S. Army, we call things observation posts, which are, you know, far flung out groups of soldiers. Uh, the Soviets called them Eagle's Nests, which is a much cooler name. It is. Uh, so it, they are so remote that it would force helicopters to be their main route of supply. Daily supplies would be rationed. So getting things like Samogun or jet fuel was a little bit harder. These rations, however, did not stop the Soviets from getting absolutely torn up. The solvents that the Soviet army used were all ethanol-based. <laughs> Uh, but they're full of other stuff too right. that would kill you right. if you drank it. So they couldn't just like take it to the head as soon as the helicopter landed. They had to do some purification. They also had to find out one way that, hey, this isn't good. Force just fucking dropped dead right now. <laughs> Probably. Yep. So uh, one of the ways they actually found out if what they were drinking was good is they would hand it to the newest conscript. Oh, my fucking Um. The soldiers figured out if they filled up a cooking pan with these solvents and left it outside in the middle of the Afghan winter, it would freeze. Now, the ethanol wouldn't oh, freeze okay, because ethanol doesn't freeze. It would remain a liquid while all the additives that would hypothetically kill you would froze. That really does sound like barracks bro science. Definitely. I wonder how many people died before they figured this out. Yeah. Uh, they would then chip out all the ice and then drink the liquid. Yeah, you got ice in your drink and it's cold. Tons of people got sick and died from this. Yeah. That, did not, that never stopped them from doing it. Ice cold drinks, man. And then there was the boot polish. Like kiwi. Yeah. Sweet. It was also ethanol based because the, the Soviet army only existed to make things that could get you drunk. Yeah. Uh, they would spread boot polish on a piece of bread and then toast it over a fire. That sounds fucking terrible. Now, the theory was that the bread would act as a sponge for the ethanol base, absorbing the liquid, uh, and while all the additives that were incredibly toxic would be burned to the top of the toast in the, in the black crust. They would then scrape all the black shit off and eat the bread. It would also do the same thing for toothpaste, which was also somehow ethanol-based. What based. the fuck? Why? The Soviet Union had a lot of ethanol. I don't yeah. fucking know. Um... I mean, all right, if it's ethanol-based, Soviets are going to drink it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it actually reminds me, uh, have you ever watched Chris Rock's Bigger and Blacker? No, I have not. So there's a scene in it where he's talking kind of about something like this. Like, 
If you if you try to if you take drugs away from people or alcohol, they'll turn to fucking chemists. They're like, if we put a couple lime lima beans in this can and smoke it, you'll get fucked up. Yeah, same shit. But you know, like in a war zone, um, on a large scale. So sometimes this doesn't just didn't work. So this came to what is known as pseudo alcohol. Soldiers were down rose water, aftershave, hand lotion, and rubbing alcohol. To the point that one Soviet surgeon who was treating a wounded soldier said that when he cut open the soldier's stomach to remove some shrapnel, he just smelled like booze. What the <laughs> fuck? They're doing mixed drinks out there. Uh, so this kind of al- alcohol substitute abuse was so common that eventually the Soviets banned aftershave. <laughs> That's awesome. Does it get worse? Yeah, yeah. Rampant drug addiction. So, like we've talked about before, Afghanistan is what is known as the golden crescent of drug cultivation. Weed, opium, they all grow there in the wild. Um, They're literally everywhere. So it should come as a surprise to absolutely nobody that opium heroin would become rapidly abused by Soviet soldiers. Not to mention, drugs in the Soviet Union were pretty fucking hard to come by. There wasn't like... Uh, weed trickled in here and there, but it wasn't like flooded with drugs. Uh, so this was a lot of the time the soldiers were dabbling in, in, in drug use for the first time. And oh boy, did they discover that they like some drugs. Um, so I can attest that it is incredibly common for Afghan soldiers, police, and street merchants to just offer you drugs like all the time. Like, you know all those really bad PSAs we had to watch when we were in school? Like, drug dealers will just give you a free sample to try to get you addicted. The shit Air that isn't program. true? That actually happens in Afghanistan. I have been offered more drugs in Afghanistan than actual drugs I have purchased in America. Really? And I used to smoke a lot of weed. I mean, and it, it, it's incredibly cheap. Um, you can get, like, a grip of... of of like compressed hash for like a dollar. What? Yeah. Okay. This led to rampant drug addiction within the ranks of uh, the Soviet army to the, so like so many Soviets got addicted to heroin that they just stopped counting. And you can imagine that um, like people reusing needles just spread HIV rampantly. Um, Smoking weed on patrol became so common that nobody bothered to stop people anymore. Um, so Russia and most of the, the former Warsaw Pact countries are undergoing something of a renaissance of heroin addiction these days. And a lot of people trace it directly back to this war. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Holy fuck. Because the Soviets soldiers, the veterans went home, bringing their addictions with them. Right. A lot, and a lot of no people. No 12-step program. Oh, no, no, no. Not, I would imagine. There. Their 12-step tro- their program was just being homeless and dying. <laughs> it's, just two, it's just two steps. Yeah, it's only two. Um, you're missing a whole 10. Yeah. So you're probably asking uh, just how miserable could one of these deployments be that soldiers are risking HIV and blinding themselves with booze just to, just to deal with the pain. In short, the Soviet army was hilariously ineffective on the ground. The occupation troops were so bad at fighting that they tried their best simply to never do it. Um, In earlier episodes, we talked about how entire battalions would just get wiped out because they would just sit there and get surrounded and die in their vehicles. That story is by far not a one-off. 
those senior soldiers who pawned off all their garrison cleaning duties did the same thing for their combat duties too. Really? Yeah. So like if somebody was putting a patrol together or a convoy together, the older soldiers who might actually know what they're doing is like, hey, you new guy, you're going in my place until like nobody knew what they're doing. So survive a couple patrols. There's a good chance you don't have to go in anymore. It's a good deal, I guess. Soviet sergeants had virtually no power or control over the units they were in. Um, all that power ref- rested mostly in the officer corps. Ah, uh, yes, top heavy. Yeah. As we- yep. Uh, this meant that it led to an incredibly rigid and centralized uh, chain of command that didn't just not really like critical thinking. Um, it di- actively discouraged it. So if things didn't work out exactly as the officer ordered you to do, You'd simply wait for him to tell you something new instead of just like, okay, that didn't work. Time to move. Yeah. Like, like in, in the U.S. Army and most westernized armies these days, you're always trained to do the job of the person above you. Like, if, if I'm deployment, if my platoon leader died, I don't think anything would have changed. If my platoon sergeant died, I don't think anything would have changed. Um, if the platoon leader of a Soviet platoon dies, the platoon stops working. Period. Oh, they're fucked. Yeah, they just don't work anymore. Shut down. Cool. Yeah. Like it's it's a it's a ch- it's a chain that if one link breaks the whole thing is broken. I imagine it changed now. I don't know. I would uh, hope so. Well, it certainly didn't in the Chechen wars. No, it um, didn't. No. So it was not uncommon for foreign journalists to be invited along to witness ambushes of Soviet columns slowly winding their way through the mountains. Now, I mean, to be invited with the mujahideen. Uh, once attacked, these lumbering vehicles would stop dead in their tracks. They made no attempt to outmaneuver the ambush or run through it. They'd simply wait to receive orders or artillery or airstrikes. Man. You're probably wondering, what kind of vehicles were these guys driving in? Actually, yeah. I'd like to know. Not good ones, turns out. Uh, so this brings us to the vehicles that the Soviet Union was using. Though it has been a well-worn joke for years now, the Soviets really did excel at creating weapons that totally disregard the safety of the people using them. Um, For instance, in the United States Army, and again, most westernized armies, most vehicles are built with the survivability of the crew in mind. Like, how many times can this thing be hit and the people inside still survive? That was never really put in the equation at any point for any of these vehicles. Um, this has something to do with Soviet doctrine at the time. Though. The Soviets were fairly open in their reliance on inferior weapons. Great numbers of tanks that might go only 250 hours without a major overhaul, but cost less, are preferable to more expensive and durable models. They can get them off the, the line faster. Okay. Which brings us to the T-62 and the T-72 tanks. Not the T-55, which I will never make fun of. <laughs> Um, the T-62 expent, uh, or sorry, expelled spent shells through a small porthole via an automatic ejector. So kind of think of it as a rifle, except instead of that whole bolt action that the, the empty brass is coming out of, it only has a hole just big enough for the shell to come out of. So any deviation yeah. from that, you got a jam. About that. In theory, what would happen most of the time is the ejector would miss the hole, sending the shell wildly cartwheeling around the uh, inside of the turret with enough force to badly injure people. Oh, fuck, that would suck. Soviet tank crews were not issued hard helmets. They were issued soft, 
CBC helmets, which is something I wore as well. Uh, the cruisers were to wearing cooking pots on their heads whenever they were using D62s. <laughs> like a fucking Tom and Jerry cartoon? Yeah. Somehow, this is still better than the T-72. Uh, the T-72, like most Soviet tanks, had an autoloader. Uh, the 72, unlike any other tank in human history, had an autoloader that, according to Jane's weapons and tactics, had a, quote, nasty habit of castrating the gunner. Oh, God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? I have no idea. Why was I, that a design? They Ooh. just left it at that. They're like, welcome to the ball, Crusher. Uh, Do you think they, ha- they tested it? And the dude that was testing it was like, <laughs> they're like, good to go. Yeah, they tested it exactly one time, and the gunner they're using was a castrati and didn't notice the difference. Like, still good. Yeah, <laughs> slick down here, <laughs> like a turtle shell. Ah. <laughs> uh. Um. Then the piece de la resistance, the BMP one. So it's worse. All right, I'll let you be the judge of that. Okay. I, I don't. So far, th- that one sucks. I don't think. I can pick, but so I'll let on. you be the judge here. Does the loader fucking like straddle? So it's <laughs> alongside. It takes up like half the tank. Okay. How his nutsack ends up in it, I legitimately <laughs> have no idea. <laughs> Maybe you I have feel to like he's using there, it wrong. Like, you have to, when they're teaching him, so you lay your dick and your nutsack. You have to give, the, you have to give the autoloader the Roman helmet at all times. <laughs> Uh, sir, uh, comrade, lieutenant, it says here I have to teabag the, the, the gun. That can't be right. It says it in the manual, comrade sergeant. You have to do it. <sighs> okay. Sometimes you get fancy with it. Maybe you want to give the, the gun a bat wing. Yeah, give it the fucking... The Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> All right, what is the Abraham... Is that just balls on the chin? No, that, I think that one is just... You got to shave your pubes in uh-huh. a way where it has the Abraham Lincoln look to it. You give pubes. it like a dick goatee? You can, I guess. <laughs> somebody will correct, correct can, this. <laughs> like, I'm pretty you sure officially somebody... made the goatee somehow worse. And yeah. that's not something I thought was possible. All right. Back to the BMP, which doesn't involve pubic hair as much as I'm aware. So due to the way the front slope was on the BMP-1, if the vehicle ran over a tilt rod landmine, which is a landmine exactly as it sounds, you tilt a rod over to trigger it. Uh, which was very common in Afghanistan. It was because of the the upward slope of the of the of the front of the vehicle. It was almost assuredly to be under the crew compartment. God. And the BMP's armor was so thin that virtually every anti-tank weapon in the country could destroy it. Um, now, here comes the bigger, almost cartoonish flaw: extra fuel tanks. That isn't inherently bad. They're driving a long distance. Those extra fuel tanks doubled as the doors. The doors? The troop doors in the back. So if you were to exit the vehicle, you were running past, you were opening a fuel tank and running past it. Who came up? So, oh, the cheap. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the rear doors where dismounted soldiers were supposed to use to exit were full of fuel. This meant that any armor-piercing strike to the rear had the potential to ignite the fuel and send a wave of fucking fire into the troop compartment, where it would ignite extra ammo, which was also fucking stored there for some reason. That The BMP-1 is the Soviet army 
in a vehicle. <laughs> you are absolutely like, it's correct. It's just terrible all the way through. Now, full disclosure, if I'm to defend the BMP one-on-one issue, those fuel tanks were not supposed to be full of fuel when they rode into battle. They're actually to be full of dirt. What's the point? So the idea was, oh, we're going on a long patrol. We'll fill up the extra fuel tanks. Uh, now, what do you think this vehicle's main duty was in Afghanistan? Going on long patrols on roads where it would be ambushed. So it was like, this thing was only ever full of fuel. I would stop filling it with fuel. Also, if you filled it with dirt and then later attempted to fill it with fuel, you would just explode your own engine by pumping it full of mud. <laughs> this is... I don't... Who the fuck came up with this idea? <laughs> like, who thought this was a great idea? Uh, now, can I say it? Maybe it was the dude who came up with the castration. <laughs> this the gun is fueled guy. by nutsacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Combat engineer, did you make a gun that purposely castrates people? No. <laughs> now let me see them without balls. Uh, now, I'm going to have to say it again. Wait, it gets worse. Okay. Now, picture a image of the Soviet-Afghan war. You're probably thinking of a lot of Soviet soldiers riding on top of vehicles, right? I'm also thinking a good amount of them may be castrated. Now, <laughs> so... Yeah. I really like to know how many people lost their balls to the T-72. We, do you think that's an accurate number that, that they their kept, casualties? If they kept metrics? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the BMP-1 and the, the BMP and the BRDM family of vehicles were so unsafe that soldiers would just ride on top instead. Makes sense. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I would rather get shot to shit than burn alive if I had to pick. As you can imagine, uh, all this had a really bad effect on the Soviet morale. Um, we've talked about before that Soviet retention rates were less than 1%. So less than, less than 1% of people would re-enlist after their conscription period of two years. Now, crazy enough, if you enlisted once, you actually had a 50% chance of retiring within the military. Oh, okay. I'm assuming it's because you're so mentally wrecked after drinking boot polish and sexually assaulting people around you that you know you cannot have a job literally anywhere else. Yeah, pretty much. Um, now, morale was so low that fragging or the intentional murdering of a superior, usually via frag grenade, was incredibly common. So common, in fact, that officers uh, would sleep under an armed guard of soldiers from a different unit that didn't know what? how big of an asshole they were. That's fucking awesome. Also, desertions were very common, but not as common as you would think. Um, there seems to be an overwhelming belief that hundreds of Soviet soldiers simply ran off into the mountains and, and end up staying in Afghanistan. It's actually not what happened. Um, now, the Mujahideen really did capture hundreds of Soviet soldiers uh, during the course of the war. In the early stages, it was almost uh, when they captured someone, you were almost always just shot and left on the side of the road. Uh, one of the most common ways for Soviets to get caught early on in the war was in the act of looting. Uh, uh, because Soviet soldiers would walk off post by themselves and just start robbing people, uh, which makes them very easy to be captured. 
Uh, so they came up with a policy that no less than two people could go out together. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. But soon, the Mujahideen learned how valuable these soldiers actually were. Uh, because the Mujahideen ended up becoming kind of media savvy when they realized, like, holy shit, the entire world hates the Soviet Union. Everybody's on our side. We got to look good. So they would show the Soviet, like, look how good we're taking care of these guys. They had um, a whole production going on. Makeup, also, sound, lights. Yeah. Uh, also, they had um, like a, a deal with the CIA. They'd turn these guys over to the CIA. And uh, sometimes the CIA would be like, hey, tell us whatever you know about the Soviet Army. We'll give you a passport. You can just go to the United States or go to Canada or wherever. Did they actually give that to them? Yeah. Hundreds of people. That's a good deal. Yeah. That's a pretty and good a deal. A lot of people took it. I'd take that over getting a vodka bottle shoved up my asshole. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, those scales are not even. Um, there's actually a lot of so- uh, soldiers who did not do that. Um, because they, you know, they're loyal to their country or whatever. It's understandable, but, uh, fucking retards. Yeah. That's bad <laughs> fucking choice, guys. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty loyal to the United States, but if I had to choose between like a passport oh, to yeah. England or, or Ireland or fucking Afghanistan <laughs> or like being, being like viciously raped with vodka bottles, like, I guess I'm moving to Kabul. I thought you were going to pick the vodka bottles. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, so this led to a bit of a problem for the soldiers who were captured. Um, the Soviet army had a long-standing belief that if you were captured, you must have surrendered because you didn't die fighting, um, which means you were a traitor, or at best, you cannot be trusted because you were they turned. They really jumped to conclusions. Oh, yeah. Uh, one famous case of this was Joseph Stalin refusing to exchange a German POW for his own son, who was then killed in captivity. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, Joseph Stalin's, Stalin's going to Stalin. He was just an asshole. Yeah. He, he tried to equate it out to be like a rank thing because his son was like a lieutenant or a captain or something. I think his name is Yakov. And uh, the Germans wanted a field marshal in return. And he's like, last time I checked, the lieutenant and a field marshal are in equal ranks. I bet you his son was like, Dad. <laughs> oh, I am absolutely sure Yakov knew that his dad was not going to exchange Oh, him. yeah, probably not. He's like, guys, I don't even know why you're trying this. <laughs> um, My dad didn't even hug me. And like the vast majority of like Soviet POWs who were repatriated to the Soviet Union immediately went to gulags after World War II. They, they were... They thought they were compromised. Like you, mm, you okay. clearly aren't down with the communism because you surrendered. Whatever it may be, um, the soldiers knew this and were fucking terrified to return home. Um, many of them went with the CIA, but Mujahideen gave them another option: convert to Islam. You can chill with us. Fuck yeah, dude! A so lot of them the, took that. Party in the fucking mountains. Um, many of those guys are still there today. I've seen a little small documentary on one of the guys. Yeah, his name is Nick Muhammad. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about him. Nick, oh, Ma- cool. Nick Muhammad does not have a good story. Um, so they, these guys would take Muslim names, Afghan wives, and settle into the community. Many of them have like dozens of children. Yeah, like he did. To this day, Afghanist- Afghan veterans associations in Russia are trying to track them all down. Because no one's really sure where they all are or if, how many track of them are them still down alive. down in a... What way? Well, negatively. So, Afghanistan after the war was a pretty closed off to the outside world, and uh, the Soviet Union was falling apart. So, 
communications was non-existent. The vast majority of these people's families didn't even know they were alive. Oh, okay. So uh, most of this Soviet missing in action, nobody's sure if they're living in Afghanistan, they're dead or whatever. So they're trying to track them down for like closure for the families. Um, that's that's actually good. Which brings us back to our boy Franz Klitschevich from uh, our last episode. Um, he runs one of those groups now. Does he? Yeah. Um, he found one guy who had been in Afghanistan. Now he's been in Afghanistan since, uh, living with the Afghans since around 1985, um, who could hardly speak Russian anymore and refused to go back, saying, quote, it's been 25 years and I am fucking done with Russia. Hell yeah, dude. Some of them eventually do decide they want to go home, however. One of those men did after living in Afghanistan for 10 years, only to, only to quickly sour on living in Russia pretty much figuring out he has nothing in common with any of these people and going back to Afghanistan, where he remains to this day. In 2018, the U.S. discovered former Soviet Lieutenant Sergei Pelantyuk living with an Afghan family in a village near Kunar. He had been listing his missing in action ever since he went missing, and he actually left his wife and small child behind uh, in Russia. What? Yeah, when he deployed, his wife had just given birth. Holy shit. He had since taken a different wife and had about eight kids. This one's cooler. Now, one of the weirdest stories probably involves a Ukrainian named Nikolai Bastryov. Uh, he was captured while, on a, while his patrols overran northeastern Afghanistan. Uh, while in captivity, he was beaten and tortured, and he was almost 100% certain he was going to die. Until one day, he was randomly exchanged to a different group of Mujahideen for some supplies and weapons. Because remember, having a Russian prisoner... Prestige. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like having spinners on your car. It's like, check out this fucking Soviet I got. And actually, that kind of continues to this day. Uh, uh, a lot of foreigners who are captured, uh, mo- mostly in Syria, um, get traded around from group to group. They're kind of like bartered for. Yeah. Um, now, the group he was traded to was led by our boy, Ahmed Shah Massoud. Oh, really? Thankfully, thankfully for uh, Nikolai, Massoud's a good guy. Um, th- the two became fast friends, and uh, Bastriov moved into Masood's house to live with his family. What? Bastriov would soon become Masood's not only closest friend, but most loyal bodyguard. This guy's a stand-up guy. He even began fighting the Soviets. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, now, he did not go on uh, offensive operations. He uh, defended the Panjshir Valley, so there's a good chance he fought in Operation Typhoon against yeah. his own people. That's uh, crazy. Eventually, he grew tired of the constant warfare. So uh, when the Soviets left, he stayed there uh, through the 90s, all the way up until 2001, which was when he decided he was sick of the Afghan civil war and he was going to return back to Russia, bring his Afghan wife and kids with him. You know what else happened in 2001? Yeah. Masood was assassinated only weeks after Bastriov left the country. Bashraf blames himself for Ahmad Shah Massoud's death. Holy fuck. Because he said, quote, yeah. if I was there, that camera never would have made it into his house. Fuck. Yeah. He, he does not deal with that very, uh, very well. So um, he's still around now. Yeah. Uh, Nikolai's still alive. Okay. That's insane. Our final story brings us to Nick Muhammad, or as he was born, Gennady Shima. He was uh, captured by the Mujahideen 
soon after arriving in Afghanistan and immediately converted to Islam to save his own ass, which, sure. Solid choice. Yeah. He lived in the mountains with the rebels for years, getting married to an Afghan woman before settling down in Kunduz. I wonder, there's so many of these guys living in Kunduz, I wonder if they have like a little association. Or they just don't even notice that they're Russian. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, other Afghan man. He was uh, eventually discovered by a British journalist in 1991, and uh, he was filled in with everything that had happened in the outside world. Because remember, there was no media. Like, there's internet and like cable TV uh, in Afghanistan now, but this is 1991. Shit didn't exist. He did not know about the Berlin Wall coming down or even the fall of the Soviet Union. Mm. Things were so insane uh, to him that he simply could not believe it and called the journalist a liar. Um, so the journalist came back with his dad. Uh, his, his dad was able to convince him what the journalist said was true, and he begged for his son to return home. Remember, his dad thought he was dead for years. Yeah. Uh, now, unlike most of these other guys, Muhammad really did want to go home, uh, but his wife didn't. So he's like, well, we're, we already live here. She wants to live here. We're raising our kids here, so we're going to stay. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah. uh, in the chaos of never-ending war, however, Muhammad decided to change his mind, and uh, after his, one of his sons was very nearly killed in an airstrike. One of our airstrikes. Yeah. Our bad, guys. Um, so he decided he wanted to return home. The problem he wasn't the citizen of any country. Now, he was born the citizen of the Soviet Socialist Republic of Ukraine, which no longer existed. Yeah. He did not have a passport, and he was never an Afghan citizen. Um, so is he like limbo? Yeah, he does not legally exist. Okay. Because he was also declared dead by Ukraine yeah. okay. and the Soviet army. <laughs> um, so to make matters worse, he was technically illegal immigrant in Afghanistan. <laughs> what? Yeah, he just... Remember, he came as yeah, part of the I Soviet mean, army and never left. I would imagine they, they wouldn't care. Well, it's been making him getting an Afghan passport a real motherfucker, and that's what he's been waiting for ever since. He's still in Afghanistan. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so... um that's the episode. Uh, glad to end on a sad note. Yeah. Uh, big ups to our boy Nick Muhammad. Uh, hopefully you get back to the Soviet Union or get back to Russia or Ukraine or wherever it is you're going. Um, wherever you find home. And so they're thinking that between 300 and 500 Soviet soldiers stayed in Afghanistan after the war ended. They, I wonder how they got those numbers. They actually don't know how many are living in Afghanistan, how many are missing, or how many are dead. They actually don't even know how many have returned to Russia or whatever republic they were from. They're not keeping good records, No, they're to not, say. yeah. Um, so, which vehicle's worse? Yes, okay. So, I would... Oh, fuck. At least in the BMP, I could actually get on top of it. Yeah. I'll get on top of it. I would fucking hate to have my... Nuts. Eaten by a main gun? Yeah. Okay. I agree. I'd, I'd go BMP. What would you rather drink of all the things that we've talked Ooh. about? What would I rather drink? Honestly, I like to eat too. So I think I'd go with the boot polish maybe. <laughs> the boot I'd polish toast? The bat a little bit. Maybe it has good texture to it. Who knows? It's close second. It's definitely some of that fucking jet. 
I'm going. I'm going with the jet coolant. Yeah, because they drank so much of it that like it probably wasn't that bad. But also like the uh, the pseudo alcohol. No, it was probably really bad. But they just didn't get, yeah. care. The pseudo alcohol probably not uh, the worst. Um, I mean, it's awful for your insides. But like in in modern day Russia, they actually have a whole industry of like aftershave that is marketed and was very clearly liquor bottles. Hint. Because if yeah. they mar- if okay. they sell it as aftershave, they can sell it for like. You know, dirt fucking cheap because there's not there, there's a minimum amount of, uh, of 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 what liquor can cost to try to um, uh, stave off al- like mass alcoholism. Right. Aftershave, it's aftershave. Yeah, sure. Put it, it on your face, take a little swig. Sure, it looks exactly like a bottle of vodka, <laughs> but it's aftershave. Um, but thank you everybody for tuning in to this never-ending series of misery. Uh, I guess that both goes for this. Series and our entire podcast. I wonder if there's going to be a part eight that's just going to be sprung upon me. Uh, not unless I write it, because I'm done with script. Uh, I, 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 I stopped researching this about last month when we started recording. And I have to say, this is the longest I've researched anything to include any of my grad papers or anything like that. So Nice. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could say this is the last time I'm going to talk about the Soviet Union this year, but it won't be. Uh, we have other other pots on that that fire um, to make our toast, sure. that which we can then yes. eat and get drunk. Um, so thank you everybody for for listening. Uh, thank you for taking this journey with us. Yes. Uh, if you think what we do is worth a dollar, you can give it to us on Patreon. You can get access to all of our episodes at least a day early. Um, you can also get access to at least one bonus episode a month. If you donate $5 or more, you get more bonus content than that and a free copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, on digits. Uh, nice. I heard the book is, in fact, a book. So take that as a review. It um, has words. Yeah, it is, uh, it is several hundred pages of, of words on a white background. Uh, so, yeah, uh, if you want a shirt, Buy a shirt from us on Teespring at, at Teespring backslash Lions Led by Donkeys. Uh, we don't have any shirts from the Soviet Afghan series yet. We'll try to think of one. Uh, if you have any ideas, slide it into our DMs. Um, Maybe if, it could be a main gun. Eating balls. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how we could make that a shirt. That could... Like Pac-Man. <laughs> Just Pac-Man <laughs> uncontrollably eating balls. Oh, there's no way we can make that a shirt. Oh, yeah, Teespring not in our fucking I would store. Hate it too. I wouldn't even wear it. Um, it, it. So we've we've also had a lot of people sending us stuff in DMs for bonus episodes. Uh, please do that. Yeah. Um, we are we are having a reading series for like uh, alternative history books. There's a lot out there I haven't heard of. If you think of a book that you think that we should read, tell me the title. I'll get around to it probably. Um, as long as it's nothing like Battle Source. Battle Source of Waterloo, the worst fucking book. I, I, I would say that's the worst book I've ever read, but I have read On the Road by Jack Kerouac, and I wanted to fucking die. Uh, but it's neither here nor there. Thank you again. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. All that shit is great. Uh, it helps us cl- crawl our way up the leaderboards of podcasting. Uh, and- Soon we'll go into Bloodsport Deathmatch against them. Yeah, I'm actually going to uh, challenge the dollop to a fight to the death. Um, I feel like we could take them. I, f- I feel like we could, too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're on, you're on notice, the dollop. <laughs> We're going to feed your balls to a T-72. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, until next week, y'all. 
Later.